Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. This week, we continue into week two of our five-part teaching series called Happily Even After. We know that every love story has a beginning, but many times what happens even after the I do's is anything but a fairy tale. So what does it look like to live happily even after? Let's listen in on a discussion of how to fight fair. I'm Nathan. And I'm Elena. And we've been married since August of 2016. Yeah. Hi. Wait, how do I introduce myself? (laughs) (laughs) I'm Nate. And I'm Tiffany. And we have been married for 10 years. Almost 11. It's going to be 11. What? What? (laughs) Stand close to your man. Oh. 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 (laughs) Yes. Hi, I'm Jamie Balder. And I'm Christine Balder. And we've been married for seven years. Stand, stand close to each other like you love each other. Without oh, <laughs> wrecking the backdrop. No, I'm, just... <laughs> I'm Jacob Swanson. Uh, I have been married to my wife Jessica for almost seven years, seven years in April. first fight we had like a thousand fights at first that all blend into one you know i feel like we fought about religion a lot at first we did actually we did yeah i don't know it might have been like the big fight was that our first fight oh yeah so that was pretty big we had our our (laughs) wedding scheduled and we moved the wedding and that was a huge fight but we made it through and, uh, and life is better now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't. That's not to say we don't fight. <laughs> Let me be perfectly clear. <laughs> uh, I don't, no. Uh, I guess it hasn't been anything major. We fought a lot when we were looking at a house to buy uh, and had a lot of disagreements. Um, but I don't know that we've had any one thing that's been this major. Trying to see the other person's point of view, I think. Communicating. Um, depends on the conflict. Some conflicts over time, you know, you have to work on it. Some it just, it's an explanation of misunderstanding. Um, but I think as long as you just communicate what you're feeling, that, I think that helps us. I think I've learned too that um, if he's like upset, I need to learn how he deals with frustration. So sometimes I just need to give him some space before we work it out or whatever. Talking. We had to, I feel like we had to really work on that because I internalize everything mm-hmm. and then he has to vocalize everything and mm-hmm. so there's a lot of right. give and take in that but now we've kind of learned, yeah. like he's he's able to give me space now and then I'm able to right. really work with him a little bit. She's the introvert, I'm the extrovert. And in case you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> Not during Monopoly card game, that's for that's sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think eventually. Uh, communication. Yeah, I, I, I like the passage of time. 
So I will, if we are fighting uh, or I get my feelings hurt, I tend to regress up into the bedroom or maybe go on a walk or something like that just to cool my head and then try to come back. But ultimately I think it's trying to get to a place of calmness where we can communicate our thoughts clearly instead of in the heat of the moment. And I try to force that communication right away, which doesn't always bide well. It's true. So I need to try to learn to when is the appropriate time to have that conversation. So it was a spring. It was a spring of 2010, 2011. And in Northfield, Minnesota, it was shaping up to be probably one of the most exceptional springs that we had ever had. The green was coming back, and life was happening downtown, and you were greeted by people with an enthusiastic smile rather than the dreary head nod that happened most days during the long winter. And I was driving uh, the back roads from Faribault to Northfield from the church that I was on staff at, and it was just one of those picturesque days. It felt as though I was kind of some guest in some world-famous photograph that had appeared in Life magazine or something, and I was driving home from a job that I loved to a house that I loved to a wife that I loved to our first child that I adored. Life could not be better, and as I pulled into our driveway that was connected to our house— And the only reason I mention that is because I really miss having a garage that is connected to my house. And I walked into our townhome door, and there was Jen, dressed to the nines with dinner on the table, and Taylor was just perfect. She was laughing and smiling, and as I hung up my jacket, Jen greeted me with a kiss. And if you know this type of kiss that I'm talking about, it's not just like a kiss, but it was the kind of kiss that possibly foreshadowed some sort of activity that was going to happen in the evening. And it was, like I said, it was something that was just incredible. It was an amazing day. It was an amazing day. It was an amazing welcome home. And I thought, how much more blessed could my life be? I have the perfect job, a perfect wife, and a perfect daughter. It almost felt fictitious because it was. You see, actually, that spring day was pretty crappy. It was overcast, cold, and rainy, and I was speeding home because Jen had called frustrated at me that I wasn't home already because I chose to stay at work late. And I told her that I was less than 10 minutes away when actually I was about 30 minutes away, and I would just tell her that I hit every red light from where she called to home, or I tried a different way uh, getting home to save some time, and that it ended up being a disaster. That was usually my go-to. I blamed it on the lights. And as... Speaking of disaster, it was just kind of one of those days at work where it seemed like everything went wrong. I was on staff at a multi-site church, and oftentimes our campus pastor had to be at our main campus location, so I was left at the Faribault campus by myself, and it just kind of seemed that my life and that church that day was a revolving door of church members and students' parents who made the conscientious effort to combine forces and maximize their schedule to hit me with everything that the church was doing wrong, and how we were doing things so horribly, and then how I was failing the, either a person's student or students so miserably that they weren't even sure they wanted to send them to the youth group anymore. And so I had chosen to stay at work late, and so I'm speeding home, and I get into the door, and Jen hands me Taylor saying, I'm done. And I get handed a crying, screaming, small human being, and Jen goes upstairs and just doesn't come back down. And so I get Taylor as calm as I can, 
And I go upstairs, and not really reading the environment, not really reading the room, I try and get a kiss in and to see kind of just what would happen because Taylor was kind of falling asleep, and hey, we got five minutes. This might be our only shot. So I tried to kind of make something happen, and I was met with these eyes that could have killed with a tone that scares me to my day, and all I got was, really? Really? And then the fight happened. Things were said, and more things were said, and more things were said, and names were called, and names were rebuttaled, and then after a while, I just, I just left. And I fired up as masculinely as, my, as I could my, my Honda Metropolitan scooter that looked like a creamsicle. And as tough as I could and as manly as I could, I took off down our driveway and I just drove around Northfield. And I began to think about my life and I began to be so overwhelmed with the fact that most of me and Jen's interactions in our first year of marriage and almost our first year of having our daughter seemed to be all arguing and fighting. And we didn't argue and fight about specific things. We fought and argued about everything. If anything could be fought about, we fought about it. And the way that we, about the way that we spent money, the priorities that we had, our ideas and how it was best to raise our child, what we spent our time doing outside of work, how much time I spent at work, we began to fight about everything. And I began to get hit with this thought, and the thought was this. It's going to be like this forever, isn't it? I really don't think I could make it. I can make it 40 or 50 more years if this is the new normal for my life. Did I make a mistake? Did I marry the wrong person? I thought Jen at the time was the right person, but I know that if I married the right person, we wouldn't be fighting the way that we're fighting. Did I make an enormous mistake? It's going to be like this forever, isn't it? Well, just so that I don't completely depress you, I want to say that no, it didn't stay like that forever. And after eight years, two kids, four moves, and three churches later, I can say with all the certainty in my heart that I am so grateful that God has given me the friend and the wife that I have in Jen. My life's highest highs and lowest lows have been with and sometimes because of her. And I am so grateful that I had the opportunity to choose her. Now, here's the deal. We still fight. We still disagree. And we still argue. But the things that have the greatest value often in life come after the greatest fights. Because what you value is something that you're willing to fight for. Now, you see, the truth is, uh, if, if you're married or if you're single and you're thinking about getting married, here's the deal. The truth is that all couples fight, every single one of them. But healthy couples learn how to fight fair. And as a pastor, with almost 11 years of pastoral experience to speak from, I can say that without a doubt, the couples that I worry about the most are the couples that tell me that they have never had a fight nor never had a disagreement because someone is penting something up and someone will die. And so when they tell me that, my immediate response is, if they're married, you live with this person, right? Like you live with this person and you haven't had a fight or an argument, but yet you live in the same house. And the couple that fights, and fights fair, honestly, I'm so hopeful for because at least they're communicating. But as I look at my marriage and as I look throughout the lives of the people that God has placed in my path throughout my almost 34 years of life, the thing that I see that is most fights and most seasons of fighting come because 
people have not worked through or are in the process of working through unmet or misplaced expectations. You see, because when Jen and I got married, we brought in with us a whole list of expectations as to what we and who we and how we thought the other person should be and when those expectations weren't met and aren't met, we fought. Heck, when those expectations aren't met today, we fight. And I know that people, both in the church and outside of the church, that go through seasons of fighting and go through seasons where loving each other is just a lot harder than it seemed to be the day they got married. And so because the feelings of love subside and aren't there and the fighting seems to be all that they do, they decide oftentimes to quit. And see, I feel like that's kind of a normal process, a normal thing that people process in their life. Well, if it's not going well, let's just quit. Because quitting is, is the normal thing to do. Quitting is the easy thing to do. Things get difficult. It's easy, easier to quit than to fight through. But the reality is anyone can quit. It takes a courageous, almost an, a weird couple to say this, we've got problems. But here's the deal. Divorce isn't an option, so let's figure it out. Let's work through the issues. And it's amazing with all the resources. I'm, I'm so amazed with all the resources that are out there when it comes to counseling, books, and conferences and the like. That, and there are ways, practical ways, life-changing ways that you can invest in and help your marriage now and in the future. And, and the reason I told you that story at the beginning was just to kind of bring some context to show you that when it comes to marriage, conflict is normal. If you've been married a, a year to two years, three years, four years, five years, and you're like, man, it seems like all we do is fight, man, welcome to the fight club. Man, if you've been married 10, 11 years, happy anniversary, Mueller's, if you've been married 10 or 11 years, and you're like, man, we still disagree and we still argue, man, welcome to normalcy. And if you've been married over 20 years and you still get into it in aisle two over what peanut butter you prefer, you give me hope. And so this causes me to raise the question, what does most, where does most conflict come from? And I think that this goes beyond marriage and honestly every relationship that we have when it comes to life, but I believe that at the root of conflict is selfishness. At the root of conflict is selfishness. And, and here's the deal, you're a selfish person. It's amazing how selfish you are. And it's amazing how selfish I am. And because here's the deal, I, I know at least for me, I want what I want when I want it, when I want it, how I want it, why I want it. And if it conflicts with what you want and how you want it and where you want it and when you want it and why you want it, if those things don't line up, then there is going to be a conflict. Here comes the fight. And I love what James chapter 4 verses 1 through 2, it tells us, James, uh, the brother of Jesus says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Conflict comes when I want something and don't get it. And James, as the brother of Jesus, tells us that our selfishness is oftentimes the answers to the question that, of what causes conflict. James asks, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And oftentimes the answer is you. You do. I do. After eight years of marriage, I have learned that what I want oftentimes is often very different, if not every time, very different than what Jen wants. 
And this complicates things, and it causes conflict. Uh, this guy, Rick Blackman, who's a, he's a marriage expert, and he has a PhD, he has multiple PhDs in clinical psychology and, 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 and marital relationships. He says that there are four main differences that can cause conflict, and oftentimes cause conflict in marriage. And number one is, is gender. See, the reality is if you don't understand the he's, they're all he's. And every she is a she. And that simply complicates things. The second one is personality differences. You have a different personality than the other person you married. Hopefully you have a different personality because if, if you're a person and I don't like your personality, at least I'm hoping that your spouse has a different personality because then I can tolerate your horrible personality with your spouse's amazing personality. But oftentimes personality differences are the cause of conflict. The third is upbringing and the fourth is values and priorities. Now it's amazing all of these things that 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 make up a human existence, it's like, man, is there any hope? Because it seems like there's more differences than there are things that complement one another. And the amazing thing is my mom often says, man, if you marry someone who's exactly like you, one of you is irrelevant. And so we value the differences. But just when it comes to gender, I want to show you a quick video. It just talks about the differences between men and women. Just when it comes to gender, and marriage, so why don't you just take a look at the screen, and I, I hope you enjoy this. Yeah. Well, you fill in the blanks. Okay, so now, <laughs> we're going to start discussing men's brains, women's brains, and how they're very different from each other. Now, I want to start with men's brains, all right? Now, men's brains are, are very unique. Men's brains are made up of little boxes. And we have a box for everything. We've got a box for the car. We've got a box for the money. We've got a box for the job. We've got a box for you. We've got a box for the kids. We've got a box for your mother somewhere in the basement. We've got, we got, we, we got boxes everywhere. And, and the rule is, the boxes don't touch. When a man discusses a particular subject, we go to that particular box, we pull that box out, we open the box, we discuss only what is in that box. All right? And, and, and then we close the box and put it away being very, very careful not to touch any other boxes. Sorry, my Catholic upbringing got in there for a minute, but I... <laughs> I'm not a Catholic, but I went to Catholic school when I was little. I, I had a nun who taught on hell like she was born and raised there. I mean, I'll never forget it, but... Uh... <laughs> it did me good, actually. It was a good thing. Now, women's brains are very, very different from men's brains. Women's brains are made up of a big ball of wire. And everything 
is connected to everything. <laughs> the money's connected to the car, the car's connected to your job, and your kids are connected to your mother, and everything's connected to everything. And it's like... <laughs> it's like the internet superhighway, okay? <laughs> and, and it's all driven by energy that we call emotion. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons why women tend to remember everything. Because if you take an event and you connect it to an emotion, it burns in your memory and you can remember it forever. The same thing happens for men. It just doesn't happen very often because, quite frankly, we don't care. Uh, And the amazing thing is that's just gender. You add personality and history and value differences to that. And, and about six months into marriage, all those things that were cute and all those things that were tolerable become the imminent source of tension and conflict in your life. See, he or she is not what I expected. And when you don't get what you want, you fight. And, 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 and you will continue to fight and fight and fight until something happens in your relationship. And this may be five years 10 years, 20 years from now, but my prayer is that this is something that happens in every marriage that's here today, and you will continue to fight and fight and fight until you begin to value the differences that your spouse has. See, whether they're an introvert or an extrovert, whether they're neat or messy, until you begin to value the differences that your spouse has, you'll continue to fight and fight and fight. One of the greatest breakthroughs that can happen in your marriage is when you begin to value, and not just value, but respect the differences that your spouse brings into the relationship. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. In other words, it's no longer simply about what you want in the universe, but what does my spouse want? And not even so much what does your spouse want, what does your spouse need? I know, Sophia, I know. Quickly, in the time remaining, I want to give you four things, four little ways to help you fight fair when it comes to your marriage. If you're taking notes, uh, if, you want to write this, if you want to write these down, go ahead. If you want to visit them back on the app or on uh, the website, you can do that. But point number one is this, uh, first of four quick ways, is separate to cool off. When it comes to fighting fair, sometimes you need to separate to cool off. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 11 says this. It says, fools give full, full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. If in conflict you have lost control, it is almost, if not every time, impossible to fight fair. Sometimes what you do is you need to take a quick breather, like maybe it's a walk, or maybe it's a drive, or maybe you just need to go into a different room, but take a break, and then come back together when things are calm and, 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 and rationality has been reestablished and then deal with whatever it is you've been dealing with. You see, when we lose control, we lose the ability as human beings to reason. And what we do is we begin not reasoning, but we just begin reacting. We just begin to just kind of just react to everything. A marital psychologist refer to this as being bird-brained. 
because you're just reacting to everything and everything and every stimulus and every little thing and every little shoe and every little sock and every little channel that's not. You just begin reacting to everything. And, 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 and they say oftentimes it takes about an hour for a human being to get through the bird brain phase and regain the function of the human brain that they were born with. So sometimes what you need to do is just maybe take a minute and 10, maybe 60, and cool off. But more importantly than taking time to cool off is remembering to come back together to bring resolution to whatever it is that the conflict was about. And too many people and too many couples will get calm after a fight, after a brief moment of separation, and then they never revisit the thing that the, that the, the argument or the fight was about. And then you begin to live life dragging with you the unresolved weight of the things that are around you. And so the first step in learning to fight fair is at times, sometimes you just need to take a quick moment, separate, and cool off. The second one is this, point number two is this. Decide that the issue just isn't worth the fight. Let me ask you this. Have you ever made war with your spouse over what appeared to be a mountain? And then after the fighting and the arguing and the name-calling and the fallout, you looked back and that mountain was actually an, an anthill? And you realize that you used all that energy and what you did is you created an enormous issue where there wasn't even an issue to begin with. It may have just been a preference. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 14 says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. You see, oftentimes in my life, I let my, my selfish desires uh, jump the fence a little bit and get out and, and run amok in my life and, 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 and get the best of me. And what I find is that every, every small little thing becomes a, a much bigger issue when my bird brain begins to take over, my human brain takes a nap. And so what I'm doing is I'm living my life with my spouse. What I'm doing is I'm living in my life with Jen, walking around with this enormous sledgehammer. And I'm taking a hammer to the supports that hold up this dam of fighting and quarreling, and, and I begin to hit out the supports, and all of a sudden the dam begins to break, and everything just kind of comes flooding out, and the writer of Proverbs is encouraging us to determine, oftentimes, is what you're about to fight about even worth fighting over? And if it's not, let it go. I'm pretty confident to say that in this room there are married couples who see something today in their spouse that annoys them. And you could criticize. But I think about all the things that I have chosen to wage war over and I look back on them now and was it worth blowing the dam and potentially ruining a day? Or ruining a weekend or in sometimes in my case ruining a vacation? That's a rough time. Is it worth ruining all of that over? And, and if I'm just honest, most of the time, the things that we, they're not. But what I'm not saying is that, is that I'm not saying that we should live life as human beings just passively and blindly accepting things because there are some things in life and in marriage that you will need to fight about and fight through. As I was talking to some, some, some married friends of mine who are in ministry, I'm like, what are the things that you talk with, with couples about and that are fighting? He goes, well, once you get through all the little things, like, well, she's a red person, and he's a blue person, and she's a night person, and he's a morning person, they're an extrovert, and they're an introvert. I said, yeah. I said, I said that's my life. You're describing me and Jen's relationship. I don't need that right now. But what are the things when you get through the issues? He says, man, we, we, we see a lot of couples who, who, 
who argue and fight and have to fight through the idea of marital unfaithfulness. Addiction, abuse, financial mismanagement. There are things in your relationship and in your marriage that you need to fight about and that you need to fight through and that you need to fight fair. There are things to get passionate about, to fight about, but ultimately, again, to fight through. But most of the things that occupy fights when it comes to marriage, when it comes to me me and Jen and our marriage, oftentimes the fights and quarrels and emotions that come with fights are not worth the actual emotional or physical energy displaced because they're just not that important. Because, again, it goes back to, man, I'm, I'm just a selfish person, and I've got my preferences, and I've got what I want, when I want, how I want it, where I want it, why I want it, and, and it, usually that doesn't match up with my wife. Again, we're fighting over what seems to be a mountain, but ends up simply being an anthill, and we use up all this energy and passion. And we could use that same energy and passion oftentimes to, to remove ourselves from the situation and see that the issue is actually probably not worth the fight in the first place. And the third uh, point, the third way to help you fight fair when it comes to marriage is, is, is change your expectations. Change your expectations. What I mean by that is learn to appreciate who God created your spouse to be. As quirky as they may be at times, as annoying as they may be at times, as extroverted or introverted as they may be at times, learn to appreciate who God has created your spouse to be and, and stop wasting so much time and energy changing, trying to change them into who you hope they would be. Stop expecting them to be like you or your mom or, or your dad or some other person that you have in mind and that you wish they would be more like or you hoped that in your relationship they would become. You just need to stop. Because what you do when you hold the expectation of who they're not and maybe who they'll never be, you hold that expectation over them that you, and you ultimately what you do is you are limiting not them but yourself from fully appreciating and valuing the person that you have chosen to spend the rest of your life with. You're spending all of your time and energy on who they aren't that you miss out on the amazing opportunities and the amazing things that they are. And so for some people, you just need to change your expectation. Now, I know that that raises some sort of tension in the room. Because obviously, you're not the person that should change, right? See, when it comes to me and Jen's fights, I'm never the one that should change. Because I want what I want, when I want, where I want it, how I want it, why I want it, when I want it, where I want it. Now, that's that, you know, so, but oftentimes as I'm learning, because again, preaching about this stuff sucks. Just letting you know. I had to apologize to Jen the month before and about the month after this series because it's, it's one of those, like, everything that we write about, we're going through, and then I have to tell you about it, and then I can't tell you about it and not do it because that would make me a liar. And then, of course, God's not going to let me off the hook, so he's going to give me the month after and be like, and so did you really believe it? And so these are things that we are working through as people, and it's amazing it has been so amazing. I would say in the last two weeks that when I changed my expectations of who I wanted or hoped Jen to be and really began to tune into who she 
is there are things in our conversations and in our relationships of almost 11 years being in each other's lives that I'm learning about for the first time. And all these little things, I'm learning about why, the reason why she does what she does, and it's amazing. And so what I have to do is I have to change my expectations. And the fourth and final thought for this morning is this. Number four. Is move towards your spouse with tenderness. When it comes to fighting fair, because every marriage will struggle, every marriage will have hurt, every marriage will have seasons where it feels as though the odds are stacked so high against you that it becomes hopeless. And I'm just going to give you some practical insight. If you are in that phase right now, don't go to people who aren't married. Okay? Don't go to people who have been married less than you. Heck, don't even go to people who have been married the same time as you, but find people who are, and I'm going to use a big word, are decades ahead of you. Look to marriages that you hope to have and ask this incredible question, how? How did you do it? And you won't find stories of perfect, rosy existence, but what you'll learn about is the process that comes with disagreement, the process that comes with fighting, because there are going to be seasons when it feels hopeless. But what I know and what I believe is that there is hope for every marriage, there is hope for every relationship, because we serve a God who brings hope to the hopeless and joy to the broken and peace to the downtrodden. But someone has to be the first person to move towards the other person in tenderness. And honestly, as I talk to couples, this is where I get the most resistance, especially when it comes to, from someone who's been hurt. Because oftentimes what I'll hear is they'll say things like, well, they're going to be the have to one to make the first move because they hurt me. And although, yes, that is, that is true. But if you've lived life for any sort of amount of time, what you'll learn, and I don't want it ever to just become this sort of like cliche adage that you put on a motivational poster of a cat trying to get over the final rung of a ladder or whatever would be equivalent to this. I don't know if that's the right example. But what I know about other people and what I know about me is that when I'm hurt, I hurt people. When I'm hurt, I have an incredible tendency of hurting people that are closest to me. And here's, and, 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 and don't throw rocks at me. Don't walk out. I mean, walk out later, grab a cup of coffee, whatever. You can leave, never come back. I don't care. But here's the deal. But don't get mad at me for saying this because I just feel like this, this is truth. But what if you've been hurt by a person who's really hurting, and so therefore that's why they're hurting you. And what if they are needing somebody to take a step towards them in tenderness? I know you're hurt, but you're never getting hurt by somebody who's fully functioning. You're getting hurt by someone who has been hurt. And maybe the person who hurts you that is hurting needs someone to take that first step. But, but regardless of whatever order it is, there needs to be someone who takes a step towards the other person in tenderness. This, this, this first step usually means that someone has to swallow their pride and make the first move. And, and that first move is always the hardest, but someone's got to do it. 
Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, says this. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church, speaking of Jesus. And verse 24 says, As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. Every day, when the alarm goes off, when the kids run into your room and just ruin usually the best dreams, every day, husbands and wives, you are faced with the choice of releasing the control of your lives to God and honoring him and therefore in response honoring your spouse or you can choose not to. Wives, will you, will you, I want to get this right, will you, will you, will you submit to your husband as the spiritual headship over your home. Even when you know he's making the wrong decision because usually it's not the decision you would make. Less, less laughs when we get to it. I feel like I'm hitting on something here. And husbands, will you love your wives? with the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus loved and loves his church with. Giving up your agenda, giving up your hobbies, giving up your video games, so that your wife knows without a shadow of a doubt that she is loved, adored, and cared for. These are such hard verses to preach about, honestly, guys, because I know that I fail at verse 25, more than I fail anything in my entire life. It's what keeps my eyes open at night, staring at the ceiling when I would much rather be sleeping. As the Holy Spirit reminds me and convicts me of the ways that I have once again failed Jen because I have loved and valued what I wanted more than what she needed from me that day. And I determined to do much better tomorrow and then the next day and the day after that. But isn't it so true that selfishness is, selfishness is so much easier than sacrifice? And this is hard. This is hard. These verses are hard. And I struggle with this, but there is hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for your spouse. There's hope for your marriage. And the truth is that it's not just hope that comes from a book, but there's hope that has a name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the hope that will get you through those hard seasons and enhance the great ones. Jesus is the hope that will allow you maybe not to see the other side from where you're at, but to give you a supernatural confidence that there is another side waiting for you. And if you're a Christ follower and it seems like your marriage is more fighting than fun, more arguing than adoring, more conflict than Netflix and chill. Can I encourage you this morning to hold on to Jesus and place your hope in him? If you're single 
this morning, can I encourage you to not simply look past this message as something that you'll need later, but begin to live your life in anticipation and expectation of something that you're hoping, and honestly, we're hoping for you that God has in store, which is a healthy, happily, even after marriage. This morning, would you, as, we, as we close, would you join me? As, as, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much, God, for your love for us. It's, what, it's, it's an incredible love. It's amazing, God, how well you love us. And God, right now, I pray for marriages in this place. God, I pray for marriages in, in this building and marriages, God, of people who will listen to this message, whether it's on podcast or, or from the website or whatever. And, and, and God, marriage and life is just hard. There's hurts, there's disappointments, there's unmet and, and, and just broken expectations. But God, I just pray God, right now, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to move in, in healing right now. God, so often I found in my life that I try to fight with my wife to win and not to resolve. And, and God, would you help us realize that at the end of every argument, no matter at the end of whatever, God, that resolution should always win the day because, because ultimately, Jesus, you resolved our sin problem. You resolved our brokenness by coming to this earth and living a life you didn't have to live and dying a death you didn't deserve for my brokenness and for my sin. You are the example of the ultimate resolution. And so, God, at the end of everything, God, we should be people as Christians of reconciliation more than just trying to win. And so, God, for marriages, I pray for every marriage. God, would you begin to work within the details? Would you begin to work within the foundations that seem broken? Would you begin to work within the years where monotony and just routine have fallen? And God, would you really bring us back to this place? God, of, of, of being in love with one another. God, the normal thing is is to quit when things are hard. And God, I, I really do believe that you're calling us as Christians, as followers of yours, to be a little weird because, man, we, we need to be, we need a little weird because normal sure isn't working. So God, as, we, as, as what we've talked about this morning, is God, what you're working in my life and in my marriage about, God, would you help us would you give us grace? Would you give us peace? Would you give us hope? Would you give us life? Would you give us love again? God, I'm, I'm so grateful that you are in the business of restoring broken things. That's not a past part of who you are. So God, would you encourage every marriage? Would you strengthen every relationship? Would you open the doors for communication? But God, would you bring healing where healing is needed? And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to do something just a little different. Once again, thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We want to be able to walk with you and beside you as you go throughout life. So if you ever have a need for prayer, we want to be able to pray with you. Please email us at motioncityprayer at gmail.com. 
We would also love to have you join us in person next week. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at Falwell School of Performing Arts. We hope you have a fantastic week.